Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Episode 474. The Travelcast is an audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week we bring you a classic tale in some dimension other than ours, because you probably haven't heard of it, but that's about to change. We bring you Exit the Professor by Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore. Exit the Professor is a hogbend story, one of a handful of tales written in the 1940s about a mutant hillbilly family in Kentucky. What? I know, right? Yeah, the Hogbend stories, they're great. Because we're not talking hills have eyes kind of mutants here. I mean like wide range of paranormal powers kind of mutants. And maybe a hillock or two with an eye or three. Sonk is the narrator and a Gallagher-like inventor of extraordinary devices. And his relations are Pa, who's invisible, Uncle Les, who can fly, Little Sam, who's a baby with multiple heads, Grandpa, and Ma, and that's enough backstory. Let's get to the front of things. This story originally appeared in Thrilling Wonder Stories, October 1947. And if you like it, read more about the infamous Hillbilly clan and how Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore collaborated on their pulp tales in the Hogbends, Adam Age Appalachians. Although, you can just stick around Drabblecast, too, because this won't be the last you're hearing from them. So, without further ado, we bring you Exit the Professor by Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore. We Hogbins are right exclusive. That professor feller from the city might have known that, but he come bustin' in without an invite. I don't figure he had a call to complain afterward. In Kane Took, the polite thing to do is stick to your own hill of beans and not come nosing round where you're not wanted. Oh, mama don't allow no music playing in here. Time we ran off with the Haley boys with that shotgun gadget we rigged up, only we never knew how to make it work somehow. Well, that time, it all started with Raffy Haley come peeking and prying at the Shedwinder, trying to get a look at Little Sam. Then Raffy went round saying Little Sam had three heads or something. Can't believe a word them Haley boys say. Three heads? That ain't natural, is it? Anyhow, Little Sam's only got two heads and never had more since the day he's born. So Ma and I rigged up that shotgun thing and peppered the Haley boys up real good. Like I said, we couldn't figure out afterwards how it worked. We tacked on some dry cells and lots of coils and wires and stuff, and it punched holes in Raffi as neat as anything. Coroner's verdict was that the Haley boys died real sudden, and Sheriff Abernathy come up and had a drink of corn with us and said for two cents he'd whale the tar out of me. I didn't pay no mind. Only some damn Yankee reporter must have got wind of it, because a while later a big, fat, serious-looking man came round and begun to ask questions. Uncle Les was sitting on the porch with his hat over his face. You better get the heck back to your circus, mister, he just said. We had offers from old Barnum himself and turned him down. Ain't that right, Sonk? Sure is, I said. I never trusted Phineas. Called little Sam a freak, he did. 
The big, solemn-looking man, whose name was Professor Thomas Galbraith, looked at me. How old are you, son? He said. I ain't your son, I said, and I don't know no how. You don't look over 18, he said. Big as you are, you couldn't have known Barnum. Sure I did. Don't go give me the lie. I'll wham you. I'm not connected with any circus, Galbraith said. I'm a biogeneticist. We sure laughed at that. He got kind of mad and wanted to know what the joke was. There ain't no such word, Ma said. And at that point, little Sam started yelling, and Galbraith turned white as a goose wing and shivered all over. He sort of fell down. When we picked him up, he wanted to know what happened. That was little Sam, I said. Ma's gone in to comfort him. He stopped now. That was subsonic, the professor snapped. What is little Sam? A shortwave transmitter? <laughs> little Sam, Sam's a baby, I said, short-like. Don't go calling him out his name, either. Now suppose you tell us what you want. He pulled out a notebook and started looking through it. I'm a scientist, he said. Our foundation is studying eugenics, and we've got some reports about you. They sound unbelievable. One of our men has a theory that natural mutations can remain undetected in undeveloped cultural regions, and he slowed down and started at Uncle Les. Can you really fly? he asked. Well, now, we don't really like to talk about that. The preacher gave us a good dressing down once. Uncle Les had got liquored up and went sailing over the ridges, scaring a couple bear hunters out of their senses. And it ain't in the good book that men should fly, neither. Uncle Les generally only does it on the sly when nobody's watching. So anyhow, Uncle Les pulled his hat down further on his face and growled. Well, that's plumb silly. Ain't no way a man can fly. These here modern contraptions I hear tell about between ourselves, they don't really fly at all. Just a lot of crazy talk, that's all. Galbraith blinked and studied his notebook again. But, but I've, I've heard hearsay evidence of a great many unusual things connected with your family. Flying is only one of them. I know it's theoretically impossible, and I'm not talking about planes, but... Oh, shut your trap. The medieval witch's salve used aconite to give illusion of flight. Entirely subjective, of course. Will you stop pestering me? Uncle Les said, getting mad on account of how he felt embarrassed, I guess. Then he jumped up, threw his hat down on the porch, and flew away. After a minute, he swooped down for his hat and made a face at the professor. He flew off down the gulch, and we didn't see him for a while after that. I got mad, too. You ain't got no call to bother us, mister, I said. Next thing Uncle Les will do will be like Pa, and that'll be an awful nuisance. We ain't seen hide or hair of Pa since the other city feller came around. He was a census taker, I think. Galbraith didn't say anything. He was looking kind of funny. I gave him a drink, and he asked about Pa. Oh, Pa's around, I said. Only you don't see him no more. He likes it better that way, I think. Yes, Galbraith said, taking another drink. Oh, gosh, how old did you say you were? Didn't say nothing about it. Well, what's the earliest thing you remember? Ain't no use remembering things, mister. Clutters up your head too much. It's fantastic, Galbraith said. I hadn't expected to send a report like that back to the Foundation. We don't want nobody prying round, that's all, I said. Go away and leave us alone. But good heavens, man! He looked over the porch rail and got interested in the shotgun gadget. What is that? A thing, I said. What does it do? Things, I said. Oh, 
May I look at it? Sure, I'll give you the dingus if you'll go away. He went over and looked at it. Pa got up from where he'd been sitting beside me, told me to get rid of the damn Yankee and went into the house. The professor came back. Extraordinary, he said. I've had training in electronics and it seems to me you've got something very odd here. What's the principle? The what? It makes holes in things. It can't fire shells. You've got a couple hundred lenses where the breach should... How did you say it worked? I don't know. Did you make it? Me and Ma. He asked a lot more questions. I don't know, I said. Trouble with a shotgun is you gotta keep loading it. We sort of thought if it hooked onto a few things, it wouldn't need loading no more. And it don't, neither. Were you serious about giving it to me? <laughs> if you'll stop bothering us. Listen, he said. It's miraculous that you hogbins have stayed out of sight for so long. Well, we got our ways. The mutation theory must be right. You must be studied. This is one of the most important discoveries since... He kept talking on like that. It didn't make much sense. Finally, I decided there was only two ways to handle things, and after what Sheriff Abernathy had said, I didn't feel right about killing nobody till the sheriff had a chance to get over his fit of temper. Now, suppose I go to New York with you, like you want, I said. Will you leave the family alone? He halfway promised, though he didn't want to, but he knuckled under and crossed his heart on account I said I'd wake up little Sam if he didn't. He sure wanted to see little Sam, but I told him that was no good. Little Sam couldn't go to New York anyway. He got to stay in his tank, or he gets awfully sick. Anyway, I satisfied the professor pretty well, and he went off, after I'd promised to meet him in town next morning. I felt sick, though, I can tell you. I ain't been away from the folks overnight since that ruckus in the old country, when we had to make tracks fast. Went to Holland, I remember. Ma always had a soft spot for that man that helped us get out of London. Named little Sam after him. I forget what his name was. Gwen or Stuart or Peppy or something. I get mixed up when I think back beyond the war between the states. That night we chewed the rag. Pa being invisible, Ma kept thinking he was getting more his share of the corn. But pretty soon she mellowed out and let him have a demage on. Everybody told me to mind my P's and Q's. This here professor's awful smart, Ma said. All professors are. Don't go bothering him any. You be a good boy or you'll catch heck from me. I'll be good, Ma, I said. Pa wailed me alongside the head, which wasn't fair on account I couldn't see him. Well, so you won't forget, he said. We're plain folks, Uncle Les was growling. No good never came from trying to get above yourself. Honest, I ain't trying to do that, I said. I, I only figured you stay out of trouble, Ma said. And just then we heard Grandpa moving in the attic. Sometimes Grandpa didn't stir for a month or two at a time, but tonight he seemed right frisky. So, naturally, we went upstairs to see what he wanted. He was talking about the professor. A stranger, eh? He said. Out upon the stinking nave, a set of rare fools I've gathered about me for my dotage. Only Sonk shows any shrewdness, and dang my eyes, he is the worst fool of all. I just shuffled and muttered something on account I never liked to look Grandpa direct, but he wouldn't pain me no mind. He raved on. 
So you'd go to this New York, blood and hast thou forgotten the way we shunned London and Amsterdam and New Amsterdam for fear of questioning? Wouldn't thou be put in a freak show? Nor is that the worst danger. Grandpa's the oldest one of all of us, and he gets kind of mixed up in his language sometimes. I guess the lingo you learn when you're young sort of sticks with you. One thing, though, he can cuss better than anybody I've ever heard. Oh, shucks, Grandpa, I said. I was only trying to help. Thou mewling brat, tis thy fault and thy dams. For building that device, I mean, they slew the Haley tribe. Hatched thou not, this scientist would never have come here. He's a professor, I said. Name of Thomas Galbraith. I knew. I knew. I read his thoughts through little Sam's mind. A dangerous man. I never knew a sage who wasn't, except perhaps Roger Bacon. And I had to bribe him. But Roger was an exceptional man. Harkin, none of you may go to this New York. The moment we leave this haven, the moment we are investigated, we are lost. The pack would tear and rend us, nor could all thy adult-pated flights skyward save thee, Lester. Dost thou hear? But what are we to do? Ma said. Oh, heck, Pa said. I'll just fix this, Professor. I'll drop down the cistern. And spoil the water? Ma screeched. Oh, you just try it. What foul brood is this that has sprung from my seed? Have ye not promised the sheriff that there will be no more killings, for a while at least? Is the word of a hog Ben not? Two things have we kept sacred through the centuries, our secret from the world, and the hog Ben honor. Kill this man, Galbraith, and you'll answer to me for it. We all turned a little white. Little Sam woke up again and started squealing. But what'll we do? Uncle Les said. Our secret must be kept, Grandpa said. Do what ye can, but no killing. I'll consider the problem. He seemed to go to sleep then, but it was hard to tell. The next day I met Galbraith in town, all right. But first I ran into Sheriff Abernathy in the street, and he gave me a vicious look. You stay out of trouble, Sonk, he said. Mind what I tell you now. It was right embarrassing. Anyway, I saw Galbraith and told him Grandpa wouldn't let me go to New York. He didn't look too happy, but he saw there was nothing that could be done about it. His hotel room was full of scientific apparatus and kind of frightening. He had the shotgun gadget set up, but it didn't look like he'd changed it any. He started to argue. Ain't no use, I said. We ain't leaving the hills. I spoke out of turn yesterday, that's all. Listen, Sonk, he said. I've been inquiring around town about you hogbens, but I haven't been able to find out much. They're close-mouthed around here. Still, such evidence would be only supporting factors. I know our theories are right. You and your family are mutants, and you've got to be studied. We ain't mutants, I said. Scientists are always calling us names. Roger Bacon called us homunculi, only... What? Galbraith shouted. Who did you say? Uh, he's a sharecropper over in the next county, I said hasty-like, but I could see the professor didn't swallow it. He started to walk around the room. It's no use, he said. 
If you won't come to New York, I'll have the Foundation send a commission here. You've got to be studied for the glory of science and the advancement of mankind. Oh, golly, I said. I know what that'd be like. Make a freak show out of us. It'd kill little Sam. No, you gotta go away and leave us alone. Leave you alone? When you can create apparatus like this? He pointed to the shotgun gadget. I, how does it work? He wanted to know, sudden-like. I told you, I don't know. We just rigged it up. Listen, Professor, there'd be trouble if people came and looked at us. Big trouble. Grandpa says so. Galbraith pulled at his nose. Well, maybe. Suppose you answered a few questions for me then, Sonk. No commission? You will see. No, sir, I won't. Galbraith took a deep breath. As long as you'll tell me what I want to know, I'll keep your whereabouts a secret. I thought this foundation thing of yours knows where you are. Uh, yes, Galbraith said. Naturally they do, but they don't know about you. That gave me an idea. I could have killed him easy, but if I had, I knew Grandpa would have ruined me entire. And, besides, there was the sheriff to think of. So I said, shucks, and nodded. My, the questions that man asked. It left me dizzy, and all the while he kept getting more and more excited. How old is your grandfather? Gosh, I don't know. Homunculi? You mentioned that was a minor once? No, no, that was Grandpa's paw, I said. Tin mines they were, in England. Only Grandpa says it was called Britain then. That was during some sort of magic plague they had. People had to get doctors. Drunes, I think they were called. Druids? Druids? Uh-huh, yeah. Druids was the doctors then, Grandpa says. Anyways, all the miners started dying around Cornwall, so they closed up the mines. What sort of plague was it? I told him what I remembered from Grandpa's talk, and the professor got very excited and said something about radioactive emanations. As nearly as I could figure out, it made uncommon bad sense. Artificial mutations caused by radioactivity, he said, getting real pink around the jowls. Your grandfather was born a mutant. The genes and chromosomes were rearranged into a new pattern. Why, you all may be superhuman. Nope, I said. We're hogbands, that's all. A dominant, obviously a dominant. All of your family are, but peculiar. Now look, I said. I mean, they could all fly. Now, I don't know about that myself. I guess we're all kind of freakish in our own ways. Grandpa was smart. He always taught us not to show off. Protective camouflage, Galbraith said. Submerged in a rigid social culture, variations from the norm are merely easily masked. In a modern, civilized culture, you'd stick out like a sore thumb. But here in the backwoods, you're practically invisible. Only Pa, I said. Oh, golly, he sighed. Submerging these incredible natural powers of yours, do you know the things you might have done? And then all of a sudden he got even more excited, and I didn't much like the look in his eyes. Wonderful things, he repeated. It's like stumbling on Aladdin's lamp. I wish you'd just leave us alone, I said. You and your commission. Oh, forget about the commission. I've decided to handle this privately for a while. Provided you'll cooperate. Help me, I mean. Will you do that? Nope, I said. Well, then I'll bring the commission down from New York, he said triumphantly. I thought that over. Well, I said finally, what do you want me to do? I don't know yet, he said slowly. My mind hasn't fully grasped the possibilities. But he was getting ready to grab, I could tell. I know that look. 
I was standing by the window looking out, and all of a sudden I got an idea. I figured it wouldn't be too smart to trust the professor too much anyhow, so I sort of ambled over to the shotgun gadget and made a few little changes on it. I knew what I wanted to do, all right, but if Galbraith had asked me why I was twisting a wire here and bending a woozies there, I couldn't have told him. I got no education, you see, only now I knew the gadget would do what I wanted it to do. The professor had been writing in his little notebook. He looked up and saw me. What are you doing? He wanted to know. This don't look right to me, I said. I think you monkeyed with them batteries. Try it now. In here, he said, startled. I don't want to be billed for damages. It must be tested under safety conditions. See that weathercock out there on the roof? I pointed it out to him. Won't do no harm to aim at that. You can just stand here by the window and try it out. It isn't dangerous. He was aching to try that gadget, I could tell. I said it wouldn't kill nobody, and he took a deep breath and went to the window and cuddled the stock of the gun against his cheek. I stayed back a ways. I didn't want the sheriff to see me. I had already spotted him, sitting on a bench outside the feed and grain store across the street. It happened just like I think. Galbraith pulled the trigger, aiming at the weathercock on the roof. The rings of light started coming out of the muzzle. There was a fearful noise. Galbraith fell flat on his back, and the commotion was something surprising. People began screaming all over town. I kind of felt it might be handy if I went invisible for a while, so I did. Galbraith was examining the shotgun gadget when Sheriff Abernathy busted in. The sheriff's a hard case. He had his pistol out and handcuffs ready. He was cussing that professor immediate and rapid. I seen you, he yelled. You city fellers think you can get away with anything down here. Well, you can't. Sunk, Galbraith cried, looking around. But of course he didn't see me. Then there was an argument. Sheriff Abernathy had seen Galbraith fire the shotgun gadget, and he's no fool. He drug Galbraith down on the street, and I come along, walking soft. People were running around like crazy. Most of them had their hands clapped to their faces. The professor kept wailing that he didn't understand. I seen you. You aimed that dingus of yours outside the window, and the next thing everybody in town's got a toothache. Try and tell me you didn't understand. The sheriff's smart, you see. He knows us hogpens long enough, so he ain't surprised when funny things go down. Also, he knew that Galbraith was a scientist feller. So there was a ruckus, and people heard what was going on, and the next thing they were trying to lynch Galbraith. But Abernathy got him away in time. I wandered around town for a while. The pastor was out looking at his church windows, which seemed to puzzle him. They was stained glass, and he couldn't figure out why they was hot. I could have told him. There's gold in that glass window. They use it to get a certain kind of red. Anyways, finally I went down to the jailhouse. I was still invisible, so I eavesdropped on what Galbraith was saying to the sheriff. It was Sunk Hogben, the professor kept saying. I tell you, he's, he's fixed that projector. I saw you, Abernathy said. You done it. He put his hand to his jaw. And you better stop it fast. That crowd outside means business. Half the people in town have got toothaches. I guess half the people in town had gold fillings in their teeth. Whoops. Then Galbraith said something that didn't surprise me too much. I'm having a commission come down from New York. I meant to telephone the foundation tonight. They'll vouch for me. So he was intending to cross us up all along. I kind of felt that he had that in mind. You'll cure this toothache of mine and everybody else's or I'll open the doors and let that lynch mob in, the sheriff howled. Then he went away and put an ice bag on his cheek. 
I snuck back a ways, got visible again, and made a lot of noise coming along the passage so Galbraith could hear me. I waited till he got through cussing me out. I just looked stupid. I guess I made a mistake, I said. I can fix it, though. Oh, you've done enough fixing. He stopped. Wait a minute. What did you say? You can cure this? What is it? I've been looking at that shotgun gadget, I said. I think I know what I did wrong. It's sort of tuned in on gold now, and all that gold in town shooting out rays or heat or something. Induced selective radioactivity, Galbraith muttered, which didn't seem to mean much. Listen, that crowd outside, do they ever have lynchings in this town? Not more than once or twice a year, I said. And, and we've already had two this year, so we filled our quota. Wish I could get you up to our place, though. We could hide you easy. Well, you'd better do something, he said, or I'll get the commission down from New York. You wouldn't like that, would you? I never seen such a man for telling lies and keeping a straight face. It's a cinch, I said. I can rig up the gadget so I'll switch off the rays immediate. Only I don't want people to connect us hog bins with what's going on. We like to live quiet. So, look, suppose I go down to your hotel, change over the gadget, and then all you have to do is get all the people with toothaches together and pull the trigger. Well, but... He was afraid of more trouble. I had to talk him into it. The crowd was yelling outside, so it wasn't too hard. Finally, I went away, but I came back, invisible-like, and listened when Galbraith talked to the sheriff. They fixed it all up. Everybody with toothaches was going to the town hall and set. Then Abernathy would bring the professor over with the shotgun gadget and try it out. Will it stop the toothaches? The sheriff wanted to know. For sure? I'm quite certain it will. Abernathy had caught that hesitation. Well, then you better try it on me first, just to make sure, because I don't trust you. It seemed like nobody was trusting nobody. I hiked back to the hotel and made the switchover in the shotgun gadget, and then I ran into trouble. My invisibility was wearing thin. That's the worst part of being just a kid. After I'm a few hundred years older, I can stay invisible all the time if I want to, but I ain't right mastered it yet. Thing is, I need help now because there was something I had to do, and I couldn't do it without people watching. I went up to the roof and called little Sam. After I'd tuned into his head, I had him put a call through to Pa and Uncle Les. After a while, Uncle Les came flying down from the sky, riding mighty heavy on account of he was carrying Pa. Pa was cussing like a hawk had chased them. Nobody seen us, though, Uncle Les said, I think. People got their own troubles in town today, I said. I need some help. That professor's gonna call down the commission and study us, no matter what he promises. There ain't much we can do. Pa said, We can't kill that feller. Grandpa said not to. So I told him my idea. Pa, being invisible, he could do it easy. Then we made a little place in the roof so we could see through it and look down into Galbraith's room. We was just in time. The sheriff was standing there with his pistol out, just waiting, and the professor, pale around the chops, was pointing a shotgun gadget at Abernathy. It went along without a hitch. Galbraith pulled the trigger, a purple ring of light popped out, and that was all, except that the sheriff opened his mouth and gulped. He wasn't faking. My toothache's gone. Galbraith was sweating, but he had put on a good front. Sure, it, it works, he said. Naturally, I told you. Come on down the town hall, everybody. Everybody's waiting. Better cure us all or it'll be too bad for you. They went out. Pa snuck down after him, and Uncle Les picked me up and flew me down on their trail, keeping low on the roofs where we wouldn't be spotted. After a while, we was fixed outside of one of Town Hall's windows, watching. I ain't heard so much misery since the Great Plague of London. 
The hall was jammed full, and everybody had a toothache and was moaning and yelling. Abernathy came in with the professor, who was carrying the shotgun gadget, and a scream went up. Galbraith set the gadget on the stage, pointing down at the audience, while the sheriff pulled out his pistol again and made a speech, telling everybody to shut up and they'd get rid of their toothaches. I couldn't see Pa, naturally, but I knew he was up on the platforms. Something funny was happening to the shotgun gadget. Nobody noticed except me, and I was watching for it. Pa, invisible of course, was making a few changes. I told him how, but he knew what to do as well as I did, so pretty soon the shotgun was rigged the way we wanted it. What happened after was shocking. Galbraith aimed the gun, pulled the trigger, and rings of light came out. Yaller this time. I told Pa to fix the range so nobody outside this town could be bothered. But inside the hall... Well, it sure fixed them toothaches. Nobody's got a gold fillin' that can ache if he ain't got a gold fillin'. The gadget was fixed now, so it worked on everything that wasn't growin'. Pa had got the range just right. The seats was gone all of a sudden, and so was part of the chandelier. The audience being bunched together got it good. Peg-leg Jaffe's glass eye was gone, too. Them's that had false teeth lost them, everybody sort of got a once-over-lightly haircut. Also, the whole audience lost their clothes. Shoes ain't growing things, and no more are pants or shirts or dresses. In a trice, everybody in the hall was naked as needles. But shucks, they got rid of their toothaches, hadn't they? We was back at home an hour later, all but Uncle Les, when the door busted open and in came Uncle Les with the professor staggering after him. Galbraith was a mess. He sank down and wheezed, looked back at the door in a worried kind of way. Funny thing happened, Uncle Les said. I was flying along outside town, and there was a professor running away from a big old crowd of people with sheets wrapped around him, some of them. So I picked him up and I brung him here, like he wanted. Uncle Les winked at me. Ew, Galbraith said. Ah, are they coming? Ma went to the door. There's a lot of torches moving around outside, she said. It looks right bad. The professor glared at me. You said you could hide me. Well, you better. This is your fault. Well, shucks, I said. You'll hide me, or, or Galbraith squalled. I'll bring that... Look, I said. If we hide you safe, will you promise to forget all about that commission and leave us alone? The professor promised. Hold on a minute, I said, and went up to the attic to see Grandpa. He was awake. How about it, Grandpa? I asked. He listened to little Sam for a second. The knave is lying, he told me pretty soon. He means to bring his commission of stinkards here anyway, wrecking naught of his promise. Should we hide him then? Aye, Grandpa said. The Hogbens have given their word. There must be no killing. And to hide a fugitive from his pursuers would not be an ill deed, surely. Maybe he winked. It's hard to tell, Grandpa. So I went down the ladder. Galbraith was at the door, watching the torches come up from the mountain. He grabbed me. Sonk, if you don't hide me. We'll hide you, I said. Come on. So we took him down to the cellar. When the mob got here, with Sheriff Abernathy in the lead, we played dumb. We let him search the house. Little Sam and Grandpa turned invisible for a little bit, so nobody noticed them. And naturally, the crowd couldn't find hide nor hair of Galbraith. We'd hit him good, just like we promised. That was a few years ago. The professor's thriving. He ain't studying us, though. 
Sometimes we'll take out the bottle we keep him in and study him a little, though. Was our show. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, tell a friend, tell a relation, help spread the weird. Check us out on Patreon if you want to help support us. Patreon.com slash Drabblecast, where you'll hear more Hogbend stories I've just decided there as bonus content. Also ad-free episodes, early access, things like that. Patreon.com slash Drabblecast. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, a mutant with special powers in his own right, Bo Kyer, Drabblecast art director. Check him out at BoKyer.com. Our program is brought to you by Cameron Howard, Bo Kyer, Tom Baker, Bart Epstein, Sean Gentry, Jocelyn Gerwig, Melissa Knight, Audrey Koziol, Lydia Moon, Nicole Neely, Joseph Pietras, Wiley Scott, Gidra Baby, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, I'll bring the commission down here. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.